0: Before we dive into creating a life and business on your terms, I wanted to share with you a little something. When we pivoted in 2020 not only to living in Australia, but then also pivoting our lead generation strategy into guest podcasting, it really was from a place of creating our own rules in business. And that's the beautiful thing. And I tell all my clients that you get to create the rules of your business. And the hard part is, is you get to create the rules in your business. And the beautiful thing though, is that you get to decide how things are going to work for you. And so in 2020, I decided that guest podcasting was going to work for me. And through guest podcasting, on me appearing on only about 50 interviews, which really takes less than an hour per interview, so working less than 50 hours on lead generation in the span of less than 12 months, we were able to bring in $70,000 of new business. And my queen team and I, we have honed and refined this strategy to really successfully work for us. And I know that it can work for you. So if you are a business owner and an entrepreneur, or you are just starting your business and you are looking for a proven process to start bringing in leads, because I know so many people go on podcasts just to spread brand awareness and to bring awareness to their brand, but there is a power in profit. And when you set the intention and you work with the right strategy, you totally can profit from guest podcasting. And that is exactly what I'm teaching in my new six week group coaching course. Communication Queens. So if you have not got your booty on the wait list, then definitely go to crownyourself.com forward slash communication queens and sign your name on that early enrollment list so I can notify you when the program opens. This program is, I, I cannot tell you how excited I am for this and to be sharing this strategy with new business owners. And the vibe that I've been getting from all the business owners that I've been talking to is the same because Whether you are in lockdown or not, you can always hop on a mic and share your story, serve and yes, sell and profit from guest podcasting. And I will teach you exactly how to do that in Communication Queens. So get your booty on the wait list and now enjoy the episode. Hello my glorious fellow sovereigns and welcome back to another episode of The Princess and the Bee. I am so excited to be here with you and my guest. Emma Vega Malta, who is the founder of Bespoke Backdrops and Branding. Emma helps businesses create strong and unique brand identities and custom video backdrops for her amazing clients that are around the world. And what I loved about this conversation and I want, what I want you to pick up on is really listen to how emma created her business on her terms because so often when something external comes into our reality like something like emma experienced, like a health issue or like i have like another child or covid or lockdowns these external things that happen to us really allow for us to shake the frame of what we believe to be true in our businesses as entrepreneurs. And what I love about what Emma did is when she was faced with those external challenges, even though they were internal in her body, it was an external challenge that was challenging her business and how she was operating it, she was able to successfully shift her business into a way that aligned with the lifestyle that she wanted to create and have. And what I've seen with so many entrepreneurs is that they tend to get stuck in the doing of the doing of their business and doing all these things. But what happens when your business needs to shift to adapt to what's going on in your life? And that's... One of the reasons why we create businesses in the first place is generally it is to have that life of more freedom and more ease and more peace. And so often it's very easy to get boxed into some plagiarized programming or societal conditioning of just working more to work more. And we can always find more to do, believe me, in our businesses. I know I'm totally guilty of that. But what happens when that thing makes us reassess what it is that we're actually working for? And if you really are working for building a business that is filled with freedom and ease and brings you greater peace and more time with your family and more time with your kids and more time with your partner or just more time by yourself at home, hanging out or getting spa treatments or going on vacation, when you can shift your business to adapt to those lifestyle desires or to those necessary changes that you need to make for, let's say, your health or for, you know, having another kid come into the, the mix of your family, things will have to adapt. And the beautiful part about this interview with Emma is that you will hear how gracefully and elegantly she did adapt her business to fit her lifestyle. And still, she was able to create a multi-six-figure business. So, with that being said, I give you Emma Vega Malta. Welcome to the Princess and the Bee Podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com. And I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys, and babies. Let's make it rain. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Princess and the Bee. I am so excited to be here with you with Emma Vega Malta talking all about the Bee of branding. Emma, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Happy to be here.
0: I'm so excited to have you here because it was from the moment that we had our first conversation where I was like, this woman knows brand. <laughs> Like the backdrop. If you're watching this on YouTube, the backdrop is phenomenal and it's gorgeous. And you you did you created that. That's part of your business.
1: That is part of my business. My business is called Bespoke Backdrops and Branding. It's a very simple name. It does what it says on the tin. Yeah. So yep. backdrop is one of my deliverables for my clients. Amazing. So what?
0: Let's dive in, into branding because I think so many people have branding thinking that it's this fonts and colors and stuff like that. What,
1: what really is branding? Well, it's, it's, I mean, ask a hundred designers and they'll all tell you something slightly different. But for me, your brand without the ink, the brand is the experience and the perception that people have of your business. Now the branding is the control that you need to have over that brand. So you design the, the visuals and the elements and the, the assets and the whole the strategy helps towards building this perception and giving your clients this experience of your brand. So there's brand, which is the experience and perception. There's branding, which is the actual creating of the assets and the visuals and the aesthetics of your brand that support your brand. So it's kind of, you know, people get really confused with it, but that's how I, I work it out. Brand and branding.
0: So brand is kind of like going to Disneyland. So it's like there's an experience that you're going to yeah. have gonna when you have go it. to yes. Disneyland that you're expecting yeah. to have yes. when, exactly. you, when you enter this magical kingdom, you know, when we're all yes. able to enter it again. Yeah. <laughs> and And so there's an experience. So when you're guiding your clients, how do you guide them to that clarity so that they have a cohesive brand that reflects how they want their customer to be like the customer journey.
1: Yeah, it's really important actually for me that I don't do any design work, nothing until I've done strategy sessions. So I'm definitely not the type of designer that will come and do a vanity brand, which is like, what colors do you like? What do you want your font to be? What do you want? That's what I would call a vanity brand. I always insist that we do a strategy session and we talk about your business, your goals, your values, your customer, you know, who they are, because you need to be appealing to your customer, not just yourself. So I always go on a strategy session first with my clients and I pull out some nuggets through the questions I ask, through the exercises we do. And I build a picture of what the business is, who the client is, what the competitive landscape is. And then I might add in, so what do you like? You know, Because of course you want the business owner to be proud and connect with the brand, but it doesn't just start with, hey, what do you want? you have to do a strategy session. I love, I love the fact that you start with strategy first. How do you navigate when a
0: client is wanting their brand to be what they think will be successful? Like for example, Instagram pink and gold versus like what, who they actually are and what they want their brand to represent and bring out in the customer experience of that.
1: Well, again, I do have clients that think they have really set ideas. In fact, I had a client this week who said I was certain I was going to want this brand. But after we did the whole strategy session, which is like two hours, then I come away and do a client identity board. I do stylescapes, which are two visual directions that the brand could go in. All of a sudden, you're getting new ideas being fed to you by your designer. And all of a sudden, what you thought you wanted might actually not be what you end up choosing. And I have that quite often that the client's really dead set on something because you only know what you know. And as soon as you go through a strategy session, new ideas spark up and you you sort of get taken on on a journey that you would never go on yourself because you're not a designer and so I find that I, I like my clients to have ideas if they have them and sometimes they can share a Pinterest board with me of things they like and I tell them that I'm not going to design a brand around that but it's a really good idea for me to see what's in their head then I do the strategy session then I do all the, the, the style boards the style guides first as stylescapes and then we decide on the visual direction and often it's different from what they thought so yeah that's how I navigate that with my clients I say hold that thought Let's do the strategy first. <laughs> I love that because so many so
0: many people think that there's like work, because I work with a lot of business owners and new business owners, when they're in the space of navigating their brand, I mean, there's so many brands out there. So how do you really stake that claim of what makes you different than the other people and the other players in your field?
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting uh, subject, actually, because everyone says you should be different. I want to challenge that and say you don't want to be too different. You want to be distinctive because within your category in where you operate, your potential clients will be expecting to see or feel something in that category. And if you're too different, you don't look like you belong in that category. So instinctively, your client may say, no, that's not for me because they think you're not buying you're not selling or producing or offering whatever they're looking for and this goes for you know products and services digital stuff physical things in shops So you have to be distinctive within your category. So you need to know what's going on around you, what your client, what your competition and your peer group's doing, but then you need to find something that makes you distinctive in that. So in that category, your ideal clients will resonate and sort of gravitate towards you instead of everybody else. But if you're too different, you actually don't look like you belong in that category at all. So I'm always after distinctive, not different.
0: Yeah. I love, I love that differentiation of distinctive over different. Now when you're, when you're in a strategy session with a client, how do you distinguish what is distinctive? Distinctive. How do you pinpoint? Like, is it in their, their persona? Is it in their, the archetype that they want to bring out inside of the, the brand? Is it like how do you determine what what can find that distinctive piece that allows them to have that little bit of differentiation yeah. but not but not looking like an outcast
1: yeah, absolutely. So of course, we look at the the what the competition's doing, other the other choices that your clients have to give their money to. What do they look like? What are they doing with their brand, their messaging, all that sort of stuff? And we kind of make sure that it fits visually in that world. But then I'll ask the the business owner, and most of my clients tend to be you know either solopreneurs or they run a small team, so they're still very much based in the business. We're not talking about multi-million dollar you know Fortune 500 companies here. So I I do then say to my clients, so what's special to you? What do people know you for? What is important to you in your well? Like when you're not working, what do you do? Do you like going out for walks? Do you collect ornaments of owls or whatever it might be? And I'll just look at something outside of their business or outside of the realm of what their clients are expecting to see and I sort of somehow try and weave that into the brand identity so there is that personality that distinctiveness in there but yet it still fits within the category I mean it's not an exact science I don't have like a checklist going like that done yeah but it's kind of a feeling and that's why you need to have the strategy because you need to have those conversations and just a simple questionnaire is not enough like if I just got my clients to fill out just a questionnaire and not actually talk to me, I would never be able to find those little nuggets of gold that you find when you're having a conversation with someone. You go, oh, that's let me just put on that thread and see where that takes me, and that often, you know, helps come up with some really great ideas to make that brand distinctive and yet still personal to that client.
0: Yeah, so, that yeah. was one of, it. Was from conversation that actually it was a conversation that I was having with my husband that actually brought out part of our strategy of incorporating Disney princess memes into our <laughs> Instagram branding, <laughs> because I just, I love Disney princesses and I love sassy memes. I was like, it's, it's, and my company's called crown yourself. So of course we bring out Disney princess memes. Like. Exactly. Yes. And it's it's just, it adds that extra tweak instead of it being this. Cause I never, for me, when I was creating my brand, I never wanted it to be a very stodgy, serious, like, I feel like, like yeah. the, the the regal, the untouchable royal. Yeah. I want wanted yeah. to be very personable. Like every girl can be a princess. Every girl can uh, can yeah, twirl around a tool, and and we can. We're boy too. I mean, my son puts yeah. on the cr- my crowns <laughs> and twirls around in them too. So it's yeah. it's those little distinctions that that help you navigate what is the difference. Because I think, do you find that a lot of entrepreneurs and solopreneurs think very broad like they're not niching how like how do you draw a client into niching into what their brand is rather than these like broad concepts of things that they want to have or highlight or bring into their brand
1: so not you mean not niching in, in the business sense because they probably
0: yeah you know, not, not yeah. niching down in the, in the customer sense but like niching in in Visual, how they yeah. want their in the visuals in how they want their brand to really be represented uh, represented, it. I made up a whole word. Uh, it represented in the in the experience of of that brand.
1: Then we definitely look at the the aesthetics and 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 how that brand's going to look and how it's going to feel. The feeling is really important when it comes to laying down the niche of you know how you position yourself. So there's there's storytelling you know which you would know about storytelling finding something that's unique to you your why and then and and then the feeling around it and then trying to find a visual that connects with it just like you with the dairy with the the disney i said dairy <laughs> the disney princesses you know that's that's your unique way of telling that story and getting that feeling across and that's your little your little niche your little secret sauce so yeah, that that comes to conversation yeah yeah
0: the power of conversation and yeah being able to navigate that versus the perception of thought. So when you're working with, what what are the biggest struggles that you see when when somebody is developing their brand, when somebody is starting a Uh, business?
1: The biggest struggle is uh, people often say, do I need to rebrand? Do I need a brand? What's it gonna do for me? Um, And so that's definitely a conversation that I don't have to have too much because, if I've done my job correctly, as far as my marketing, and my messaging is concerned, people already know the value of having you know, a brand that works for you, that you're proud yeah. of and that sits nicely with your clients. But then once I'm working with them, often a bit of the pushback is... That they've been—they're so in their head with their business, they're so involved and in love with it, and obviously, and they've been living and breathing it for so long that when a third party or an external person like me comes along and puts what's in their head onto visuals and they see it for the first time, it can be quite confronting. I've had to talk people off, uh, you know, ledges before who are going, "I hate it. No, don't like this branding." Emma, what have you done? This is. <gasps> And I I don't freak out because I don't have, uh, you know, that precious nature with my work. I'm there to, design has a job to do, so I'm there to do a job for my client. So if it doesn't land with them, I don't panic and go, oh my God, I need to change everything now. I sit back and I go, okay, so tell me what you don't like about it. And let's talk about that. And often, well, all the time, the client goes, I just have never seen it in front of my eyes before, it feels weird. My nervous system is not used to seeing something that's so embodied in me and then have someone else translate that into visual. So often it's just that that fear of the unknown, the unfamiliar that makes them, and we're all human, the first thing we do when something's unfamiliar is go, oh, whoa, stop there a minute. But if you go through that and then you discuss, again, going back to the strategy, I've decided on this and we're doing this because of all those decisions, those micro decisions we've made along the way with the strategy and then the client identity boards and the style skateboards. Once we actually get to the design, if they do freak out, and it doesn't happen very often, but if they do, we've got something to to go back to and go, do you remember why we decided to do this? And do you remember your client's gonna connect with this thing particularly? And you know how you said you really love Disney princesses? I brought that in. And all of a sudden they go, ah, Yeah, I see. I understand. And the nervous system calms down. They spend it like a week. Sometimes I say, just spend a week just looking at it. Don't make decisions. You don't have to tell me yes or no right now. And then eventually they go, yeah, okay. It feels good now. Okay, now let's just change this. And of course there's always iterations. And we have like three revision rounds, five revision rounds. Things can change, but often it's that first pushback when someone is not used to seeing something visually that's been in their head and heart for so long and I've had to sort of cancel them through it and it always ends up well in the end but it's a bit like whoa
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so so it, do you find that that's like because
1: of this like vanity branding filter that they have of what they expect it to look like or yeah, possibly a bit of vanity branding that like I want this I want this and of course I want to give my clients what they what they want and what they what they love but often they need something a bit different or they and they're not designers so You know, when I go to a professional for something, I don't know what they know. So therefore, I'm going to be guided by them. So when I come up with new ideas that they've never thought of before, some people find that a bit confronting. Most of my clients don't. They're really happy to go with it because they're so part of the process. But some clients are a bit like, whoa, what's that? And then we talk about it. So that's the only kind of um, sort of challenge I I may get from time to time. And I think every designer gets that with clients. But some designers freak out and take it personally like, Oh my God, my work is terrible. I don't have that problem. I know my work is good. I just have to sort through it. And then, you know, if the client really doesn't like something, then of course you can, you can change it and maneuver it. That's the beauty of design. You know, you can. First of all, I have to point out, I love the confidence that you have in your work.
0: And (laughs) so, I mean, and, and this is, this is something that I have definitely noticed as a big differentiator with business owners is when business owners are very comfortable and they've had an established business that they're confident that it's in the work that the reflection of the client's feedback of the work is not necessarily on them. Like it's the design is good. The, the work is good. The coaching is good. The, yeah, the yeah. strategy is good. Yeah. The strategy is good. It could be the reception of it. It could be the, where the client is in that moment. But it's not a questioning of identity. Have you yeah. always been in this space of confidence with your design to where you know that just what you do is what you, what you produce is good?
1: Yeah, I've, I've always been I'm a pretty confident person. I have I do yeah. have moments of like, oh, my God, I'm so out of my depth. In fact, I've got I've got a new client now and I'm feeling a bit like, whoa, but they're not going to know that. <laughs> but I yes, love I'm your just, honesty about that. I love yeah. it. <laughs> um, but no so so i 'm always pretty confident because i 've been doing this for so long, and I have had some you know fingers burnt with certain clients and and certain projects I really wanted to do well on that I know that i didn 't do very well on, and that 's also a process for me as a business owner is to sort of you know, pay attention to what didn't work and not just assume it was the client's fault. Sometimes it's like, okay, I mean, you need to tighten up your process or you need to make things a bit clearer in your communication, or maybe you just need to scrap that part because it's really not landing when you're doing whatever I'm doing. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident in my output in my, my talents and my skill set, and that, but there's always room for improvement. And again, I don't take that massively personally. So yeah, it's, it's just, I love that
0: because, and, and I know a bit of your story and you haven't always been specifically in, in branding and so so how did you how did you get to this spa- space where you allowed for the pivots and you're in such a space still though where
1: you're so confident in the the quality of the work that you produce Well, I consider myself an artist, an actual artist, first and foremost. I have a diploma in fine arts. I've got a fashion design degree. And I started my business 20 odd years ago, selling my art to cafes on market stores and things like that. And so the the, the through line of everything I've done for 20 years has been my physical art. So everything you see in my client work and my branding and my backdrops, it all starts off with me actually designing it by hand myself so I don't buy things from marketplaces or don't get other designers to create things so I know that the last 20 years I've been honing my skill as an artist so all the iterations of my business the one through line has been my art so I've done all kinds of things and then when I started spoke the the, the backdrop six years ago um, I realized there were entrepreneurs out there solopreneurs who worked from home and they didn't have a nice space or a nice back behind them. And I was fabric designing at the time. So for interior fabrics, and I had a little business doing that. And I was in a Facebook group and someone said, I really want a fabric background behind me that's designed just for me, for my webinars. And that was back in the day when webinars were kind of new. And I went, oh my God, I'm a fabric designer. I've got the design process down pat. I've got the production. I I know how to print fabrics and things like that. I just need to remessage and remarket and find, you know, these, if one person wants one of those backdrops that didn't exist, I'm sure there's other people. So I always kept my core transferable skill through everything I've done. And I think that's what's helped me be be confident because I'm not chopping and changing, even though my products and services have changed and evolved over time, the through line, has been exactly the same, drawing, painting, and designing for clients. And that's mm. it. But that's where the confidence comes from is knowing what my transferable skill is and is building businesses around that. So
0: that never oh, changes. I, <laughs> I love that because the, the, I know when we first talked, we talked about that through line of the, uh, the what is the through line of, of our businesses. And yes. that's, that's been like for me, it's been transforming people's stories. A- and now it's, it's, Transforming people's stories from something that's not possible to something that totally is possible, yeah. and being able to show that and highlight that and give those examples of possibility and give that also that faith and that belief and and yeah. possibility as well. And I um, bet you've been doing that all your life. Like, I have been yeah. since I was five, staging yeah. backyard productions of Disney princess stories. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um,
1: it's something that you've always done, and that's yeah,
0: That's the- it really is, and and that. That confidence, when you nail down what it is that you do so well, that is, it is your genius zone and you play in that, how has playing in your genius zone helped expand your business where you know what you do well and did you hire out around that? Did you, did you, were you at a point when you first started your business doing all the things and then, and then you navigated to a different space to where you really focus more on your genius zone. What was that process like of really honing and refining that genius zone?
1: Yeah, it was definitely doing all the things at the beginning. And then I got to a point with my business before this one, where I thought I had to spend a lot of money and outsource a lot of things. And I built a, a custom software for this business, again, around design. And I thought I needed all the things and I had a really big budget for it. And then I realized that actually it was a bit of a nightmare and it was a bit of a millstone round my neck. And so I then pared it down and I realized that to expand my business and to grow my business, I need to just keep it really simple. And I, I do have I outsource things, but I don't feel I need to have all the whistles and bells and do all the things either myself or even do them at all. And I have an assistant and I just outsource jobs and VA stuff, you know, as I need it. And that's allowed me to. Grow my business to where I want it to be because I actually don't want growth at all costs for me personally. I I definitely call myself, I run a lifestyle business, which I know is a bit unfashionable in some circles. It's like, oh, lifestyle business, that can't be a real business. But lifestyle is really important to me. So I grow my business to match my lifestyle. And that's meaning, okay, we don't do certain things. I say no to certain jobs because that's not what I want to do. And other things that I'm not great at, I'll outsource that just to keep things of an even keel and also I did have a medical diagnosis nearly three years ago which meant I had to reduce my stress massively uh, rheumatoid arthritis which is not great when you can't hold a pen or do anything because you your hands are in so much pain so that has helped me develop my business without it getting out of control and knowing what's my zone of genius and what I need to outsource so Mm. Yeah,
0: and so so I love the fact that you touched on the fact that you have a lifestyle business. Can you explain what the difference is between having a business and having a lifestyle business, or a business that supports your lifestyle? And what is the lifestyle that you you've built
1: a business to support? Well, um, my husband and I were definitely team effort, and we both said many years ago we want to live like we're semi-retired but earning full time, and it's taken a while to, to build that. So I. I want to be fully booked. So my idea of a lifestyle business is to be fully booked, but not busy. So I sort of imagine my head in my life is sort of cut into slices and the slice that is business is full. It's full and they're 150% for my clients, but it's not all of my life. So I do, I bake in a lot of downtime in my work, in my deliverables. I never say, yes, I'll have it delivered to you tomorrow because I know that's going to stress me out. So I say, you will get the next review in the next 10 to 14 business days. And everyone's happy with that. So it allows me to lead a lifestyle that supports my health for starters. Because if I don't, I'll be on a lot more medication than I am now. And that's no good. And, you know, um, I can then live a really great life, but still concentrate on my business at the same time. So there's a differentiation between my business and my lifestyle, even though they're still linked, if that makes sense. Because. Yeah,
0: totally makes sense. Like for, for me, I. I love the way that I like that I've built my business to to support especially being here in Australia yes. to support my lifestyle as as being a mom as well cuz I'm yeah. like I I don't want to just be hustling all day long. I've got I've got a little one and another little one on the way and I'm like I really want to be yeah. here for those moments. I mean my son and I were having a dance party just before I bumped on this with you. So I mean, yeah. and that's that's the type of lifestyle that I desire to have—not one that is very is so jam-packed with so yeah. much yeah. work that it's it's making money, but it's not really supporting
1: Alive. the life. Like so yeah. many
0: people I know, they come to me because they want to have a lifestyle of more freedom. And yet they constantly add on more work on top of it. So were there, were, because you got to that point where you had a medical diagnosis, where you had to shift some things around, I'm sure, what, <laughs> were the, what were the beliefs that you had to change about how you actually wanted to design your business to support your life when you received that diagnosis? Well,
1: at the time when I got, received my diagnosis, I wasn't on any medication because I didn't know what it was, so I was just taking popping pills and cortisone and things. And I, I, in my studio, I had 12 clients, 12 clients in one go, doing, you know, doing all kinds of design jobs. And I have packages uh, for my clients. I don't just work, you know, there is packages. But I had too many packages and 12 clients doing lots of different little things. And I realized that I needed to take less clients on. So I only wanted four clients at any one time, which meant that I had to maybe ditch some packages some things that I was willing to do I was saying no I'm not going to do those jobs anymore and I had to raise my prices not crazy not so people thought oh she's totally outpriced herself but enough for me to go yeah I now can spend more time with these four clients give them more value add more to the package but also increase my prices to reflect that and it gave me more breathing space so I had to say no to some clients Uh, say no to certain jobs I'd been doing and take on less clients and um, which is a bit frightening because you think you need more clients to make more money but you don't and I ended up making the same amount with four as I did with 12 but my life was much more peaceful and i go to bed early at night and you know I I have a slow start in the morning you know and so that that works that worked really well for me so that diagnosis was a really good wake-up call yeah to not keep trying to pile more things on top because it's not good for your health
0: <laughs> no sure. no and i mean it the, the the beauty is is that's whenever i have a conversation with a coach or a service based entrepreneur where they're just they there's a if then belief of like if i get to 10 clients then i'll raise my prices because then if i have 10 clients and that means i'm good enough I'm like okay. well, why can't you be good enough after two like if you have yeah. two people that say your work is good enough who's that's proof of concept.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: raise your prices after that yeah. instead of waiting and burning yourself out to the point yeah. where you're so exhausted at that yeah. at that point. And so yeah. with working with four clients and with shifting your lifestyle to and shifting your business to support your lifestyle, how was that reflected in your branding? I'm just curious if
1: at all. Like did it did it change your brand? It didn't change my brand. I didn't do anything different visually or messaging or brand, you know, brand messaging. Everything was exactly the same. I just ditched a few of my lower end packages that, you know, were cheaper. I raised my prices. So actually brand branding, nothing really changed and the brands didn't really change either. Yeah, so no, I didn't really do anything particular. And I didn't make a big fanfare about changing prices or anything. I was just like, no, I'll just quickly change my price quickly. No one noticed. I even raised my prices mid, um, mid-COVID last year, mid-pandemic. Yep, and, same here. <laughs> yeah, I said yeah. I'm taking July off. I told my clients I'm taking July off, so last July. And I just raised my prices, and people are still coming coming back, so... Yeah, I didn't, I didn't allow myself to feel I had to validate it by telling everybody first, I just did it. Mm-hmm. But then other times I have raised my prices and used it as like a bit of a marketing strategy. Hey guys, raising my prices, if you want my old price, you know, book in today and we'll honor that price for the next six months, that kind of thing. That's a really yeah. good, as you would know, content marketing strategy. But when I was, you know, changing my business to fit my lifestyle a bit more, I just raise my prices quietly and... Just got on with it, <laughs> and it was yeah, but- it Break the business? No, nothing broke. Because people I think are very frightened of raising their prices because they don't yeah. think they're worth it, or will it break my business? Now I'd probably have broken my business if I'd gone from you know five and a half thousand dollar packages to a hundred thousand dollar packages because my marketplace is not there. I know the market, yeah. play, and it's not a hundred grand yet. Yeah. So I guess raised yes. it. Within- I love. I love how you said that was so much confidence yes <laughs> yeah. and then i'll only need two clients a year and i'll be happy yeah and then you're good yeah. to know. yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah so I'm, I'm i'm very protective of my stress and my health and my lifestyle and yeah and i've built my business around it and i i love the fact that that you you
0: did that and so eloquently and i love that you touched on the fact that that there is a lot of fear around people raising their prices and i think it's just our egos we Think that our clients are going to find out,
1: or they're going to know? And I'm like, mm, yeah,
0: they're—they'll know. They know can either. still choose to say yes or no. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, and I think it's also a thing of uh, longevity. You know, I've—you know—if you really know what you're good at, and you've been doing it for a while, you know you're giving value to your clients, so you can just raise the prices. But I started talking about very beginnings when I started doing the backdrops in early 2016, um, I was charging $400 for the backdrops, custom, custom completely, but I didn't know what the the value was. So I just really put a price. I didn't, I'm an R, I didn't kill myself over pricing. I said, $450 done, let's see if it sells. And it did. And every time I sold one or two more, okay, add another $50, $100, $200. And now they're $1,750. And I think I've found my elasticity now for the time being in my marketplace, that price is not going to change, but it's taken me six years of just a couple more clients, add another couple of hundred dollars, and that's, you know, how I price things and it's worth. That's that's exactly how I price my coaching packages. Yes. (laughs) Every
0: couple of clients, I'm like, okay, proof of concept.
1: Let's add a little, see if I can add a little more, maybe take a little more from this package, see what goes, See what works. Yeah, it's our business, isn't it? It's our businesses, and we can play around in our business space. And if it doesn't work out, fine, change it. Yeah. Find what work, you know. It's not yeah. the end of the world. Yeah, I promise you, no one is is going. Oh my gosh, she lowered her prices. <laughs> They, they are paying that, they are paying that much attention. <laughs> People think that everyone's paying attention to you all the time. And they, they, they remember the post you put out three weeks ago and what you said on an, on a podcast. No one's paying that much attention. So just play around and see what works and doesn't work. And <laughs> enjoy the process. Enjoy yeah. the process. So I would love one of the
0: things that I touch on with my clients is looking, being able to forecast and look at issues and things that are coming down the pipeline for your business. And I'd love to know with, with the evolution of zoom backgrounds and zoom backdrops, like, have you noticed some pushback or friction or, or, or a change in people's desire to have custom backdrops given that they could have like a zoom screen? Yeah. Sometimes it tears your head.
1: (laughs) It's like, sometimes you lose your head. (laughs) Yeah. That is the thing. So uh, when the first lockdown happened, I had an influx of backdrop orders and everyone wanted a backdrop, but then people were going, ah, you know, I, I, why I don't need a backdrop because I've got the Zoom and it's fine. Zoom does have some really fun backdrops and backgrounds and things like that. But what I've realized over the months, I never berated anyone for choosing a Zoom background. They're either going to buy a backdrop or they're not, you know, I can't force anybody. But I was watching what people were saying online and they were like, I love Zoom backgrounds. You don't need to worry about backdrops anymore. But then as people realize this is kind of a new way of doing business, people were getting fed up with their arms disappearing and their heads disappearing. And if you were trying to put something to the camera to show something to somebody, it would get swallowed up by the virtual background. So people are now coming back going, "Uh, yeah, we've had a good fun. We've had a good play time with Zoom let's now get to a proper physical backdrop. And um, yeah, so that's been an interesting sort of journey to see people's you know, um, thought process about backdrops. But yeah, it definitely during the, the, the pandemic, the first lockdown, people were ordering backdrops like crazy, yeah. yeah. So, and so I'd love to know your thought process as
0: a leader and as a business owner and with your product, what your thought process was as you saw people going on that journey of, yeah, especially for your business.
1: Yeah, I was like, I'm definitely in the right space. People who see the value in a backdrop will come to me. So it didn't really worry me in my business at all. It was it was a, a, a good evolution to know that I was doing the right thing. Something I've been doing for five years anyway. And all my clients, they're like, Oh yeah, we know backdrops. We know Zoom. The whole world was like Zoom it's so new, and you know, working from home. But my my clients, I'm sure your clients as well, yep. have, like being very comfortable with working from home. Yeah. You know, whatever. So, but interestingly enough, again, halfway through the pandemic or halfway through last year, I ditched a product line because so I was doing these small backdrops that were pre-designed. So you could hop on this, on my website, you, you click the, the design, you can make a couple of tweaks, I could add a logo and it would be a much low cost um, uh, solution to having a physical backdrop. And a lot of people ordered them last year obviously it was a low cost solution but I realized that the COVID shone a light on the on a manufacturing issue and a sort of production issue that I'd been tackling for a couple of years but because I just managed to sort of work around it I just kind of thought I'll just keep this product going but actually having COVID and having production issues it just shone such a light I thought this is such a headache for me to produce these small backdrops I won't go into it why but it was just a production issue and I went why am I killing myself to get these pre-designed backdrops when the production side doesn't work? I've tried for 3 years to streamline it to get the right people on board to produce it for me. It's still a headache. I'm going to scrap it. So although it did really well at the first half of last year, I decided to discontinue it. Which might sound counterintuitive, but I was looking at the numbers thinking I've spent so much time trying to solve this manufacturing issue I just don't want to do that anymore with my business again, protecting my health and my lifestyle. And I noticed looking at the numbers and looking at what your clients are asking for everybody who was going for the brand package where the backdrop is part of the deliverables. They said, Emma, can I upgrade to a two meter by two meter one, which has a fixed frame. And I just thought so many people are asking for that. No, one's asking for the small ones anymore. Okay. I'm going to ditch the small ones and only do the big ones. And again, it didn't break my business. Everyone's happy to have the bigger ones and pay that extra for it. So (laughs) so the pandemic did shine a really great light on my business. And I just realized I had to ditch your product line because it wasn't working. I
0: love that. I love the fact that like, and the courage to do that, the courage to be able to let something go that that may or may not be serving. Like it was profitable. It was making money. It, It sounds... Very similar to when I was back in 2018, I still had my private Pilates studio and I was debating on like, how do I keep this open? Um, I could, I could still keep it open, but I had a baby and I didn't really want to to do that anymore. And I loved coaching and I really wanted my business to be entirely virtual. And I just, I was on the phone with my lawyer, 2018, 2017. And I, I was on the phone with my lawyer and I said like, okay, how can I get this to work? And then we had just figured out all the ways to make it work. And I would bring on employees and I'd bring on that. And as soon as I got off the phone, my, the universe stepped in and I got an email from my landlord that said, yeah, I, I'm expanding my business. I need your studio space. And I'm like, okay, hey. okay. I need to draw. And I had to leave a profitable business that was producing a good amount of income. And I was like, you know what? That's gonna have to shift and pivot. And I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. It's like, so glad I wouldn't be able to be over here in Australia, <laughs> you know, it's living over here with a brick, with a brick and mortar. Um, yeah. And, and that, that is just the beauty of allowing for those pivots that sometimes don't seem like sometimes it, 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 it can feel hard. Like, yeah. yeah. like, I feel like I'm letting go of money. Like, I feel like I'm letting this like income stream go, but if it's not working,
1: working and then you let something go if you say no to something that allows the yes to come into your life for something else so yeah it's a, it's a good thing to let go of things sometimes but, yeah, yeah. why would you let go of that I'm like well it made money on the surface but the, the 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 extra hours I had to put in to sort of plug this production hole was it got to the point where I'd get an order in for a pre-designed backdrop and my heart would sink Mm. and it should be elated like yeah I've got another order in you know and I had a good profit margin on it but it was just the, the the production side and this little thing that was taking extra hours of my time I'd go oh now I've got to organize another one and I just thought why that's just not how to run a business that needs yeah. to be you know something needs to go and that that product went the product would probably come back again in a different form probably the two meter by two meter but that all those designs have to be rejigged and resized and redone. And I don't have time for that right now, but eventually it might come back. Yeah, a
0: different form. It's okay, like, yeah. but allowing for allowing for the pivots, allowing for the transformation yes. and making those decisions yes. as you go and being able to let go. That's something that's so huge. And that I think definitely for our listeners, like, please look at where in your business, what is it that you're still holding onto that you need to let go of? like to let go of something good to have something great great absolutely And maybe the greatness is just having a nap on a regular basis because you don't have the headache
1: of the you know production or something like that (laughs) so true yeah no absolutely you gotta let go sometimes so how did you get to a place
0: as a business owner where you just really claimed your power how, sorry, so say that again. I missed that question. How did you How did you get to the place with with the with your mindset as a business owner to the place where you you really claimed your power, you claimed what it is that you want, and and you just I mean you have such a beautiful a beautiful ownership about what you bring to the table. I don't
1: know. I, I don't think there was one particular moment. I know I had to find the ownership at one stage because. My husband and I went through some horrific financial issues um, after the GFC, which in 2008, which didn't really hit us properly until about 2012. And up until that point, I was kind of like selling my art, had a little shop, doing some things on the side. But I didn't really step into my ownership, as as you would say it, until Mm -hmm. I realized that, hey, I need to really help my husband and take some of the pressure off his shoulders. And my business now needs to actually provide properly for the family with my husband together as a team and so i suppose that was when i realized i had to stop playing small and start like putting myself out there a bit more but it wasn't one particular moment it was just a a realization that hey i've got this skill set i'm making money already but i now need to make it um into a proper business and i need to take it a bit more seriously mm. just to help my husband and his mental health and his you know he had, was carrying a, a right old, um, you know, <laughs> weight on his shoulders. So, Yeah, yeah that was uh, that was really what helped me step into owning that I can do this as a business owner, not just an yeah. artist.
0: Oh, I, I love that. I had the, I had a very similar moment with my son. Well, finding out I was pregnant, that was that was yeah. my moment of of like, cool. I gotta get my I gotta get my stuff together. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I gotta figure this out. And so, and so tell me about what was the process when you were in that space of going from enjoying the art and playing small, as you said, yeah. and then shifting, what was, what, what was the mental process? How did you, how did you make that shift into fully, fully owning the, yeah. what it is that you do and, and being a business owner?
1: Well, I fell into the trap of, uh, you need to speculate you know, what you need to, you need to what's the expression? you need to invest to, um. You know what I'm saying? You spend spend money to make money. Yeah. So I, I really believe that you have to spend money to make money. So this is back in 2013. Twelve, thirteen. You mm-hmm. have to spend money to make money, and it takes two years for a business to be profitable. Those are the kind of the old sort of messaging that I had all my life. As if you're a business owner, that's what you need to do: to spend money to make money, and you need to wait three years before you get a profit. So I stupidly gave myself, from our savings that we didn't, that were dwindling fast, um, a big budget to. Build this big software and this website, and do this and do that, and invest in all kinds of things. And I didn't see a profit for two years, but I didn't worry about that because I thought, well, they told me it takes two years to make a profit. I didn't realize that I didn't know my numbers. So I sort of thought I had to go really big, really fast out of the gate. And I was. Trying to play with the big boys in my space, and I just wasn't in that space. They had taken ten years to get where they were. I couldn't just drop fifty k and hope to play in their in their space. It wasn't going to work. So I realized that okay, having a big budget is probably a bad idea. Um, thinking you need to you know wait three years for a profit is not a good idea either because you should be making money you know pretty soon if you've got your numbers right. So I realized I didn't know my numbers. So I thought I can either go to business school and learn the boring business, or I can go and put myself into pitch contests like Dragon's Den, like shark tank type thing. And they have them in in this tech startup world. And I just went, okay, I I have to just stand up on stage and pitch my business to these judges because then it will force me to know my profit, my profit margins, my problem solution, my marketplace, my costings, my all that kind of stuff. And once I got hold of my numbers, to answer your question, that's when I stepped into ownership of actually running a business. I realised that I had to know how much things cost and profit and all that kind of stuff. And it's not as boring and as difficult as people make it out to be. I quite enjoy it now. So, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I think of. I like to think of because um, a lot, a lot of business owners. It doesn't matter whether you are. You know, doing fifty thousand dollars a year or two million dollars a year, I've seen I've seen it run the gambit where the the profit is not yet there, yeah. and because and there's shame or that there's you know if the business is reliant on a few clients for it to be sustained, and yeah. because it's in that space, there's there can be that shame around the money and like knowing your numbers. It's massive shame. Oh yeah, yeah, and with that. Like for, for me as, as a coach, what I find is that when I ask my clients, like, well, how often do you look at your body? And they're like, my clients are like, wait, what? I thought we were talking about money. And I was like, well, how often do you look at your body? Like the average woman has 13 criticisms that she gives about her body on a daily basis. So like, how often are you looking at your body? And she's like, most of my clients are like, you know, like every day. And I said, well, how often are you looking at your numbers?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's the same nakedness, isn't it?
0: it's it's the nakedness. It's like, oh, I don't want to look at that. Oh, let me just like avoid the mirror. Hold on, let me put a towel over the mirror. I don't see it. But actually, knowing your numbers is a huge part of really the ownership of of business.
1: Yeah, I I would say that that's when I really stepped into my ownership of a business and a businesswoman um, was when I knew my numbers and I kicked them around and I didn't hide anymore. I tried to sort of start learning about, you know, what my. When my, when my accountant sent something through, I actually looked at it, <laughs> as opposed to saying yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. You know, yeah. And that didn't work out for my business. I, I was barely breaking even, like barely. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so numbers very important. <laughs> and I think I, I think one of the things that I, that I hope our listeners picked up on from your
0: story is that it wasn't just you went out and like you knew your numbers and you had to do to these pitch contests, but a pitch is. A sales off, like you're pitching your business on a regular basis. So you're putting yourself and your business out there doing the courageous action that's required to make sales in some way yeah. to get money coming into your business. Yeah. And so there, 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 it wasn't just like it, to me, I hear, I hear not from your story, like not just knowing your numbers, but there was also an act of courage that was tied with that yeah. of putting yourself out there And so when you're working with a business owner, and and you're seeing that they may be hiding in their brand, how do you encourage that same level of courage to pull that
1: out of them so that they, they put themselves out there fully? Well, if clients are kind of hiding behind their brand, firstly, I need to ask, do they need to be front and center of their brand? Does that business require them? Am I building a business brand? or a personal brand, or an employer brand, or, you know, there's different types of brands, not to get too, you know, granular. But maybe sometimes the client doesn't need to be the face of the business, and that's fine. But generally, my clients do want to be visual, visible in their businesses. And so I equate this visibility to going shopping and buying this outfit that makes you feel amazing. So you whatever it might be for you, or whatever you purchase shoes or jewellery whatever and you go out and you feel so proud and you feel happy to be visible because you're wearing something that feels great and I equate branding to that for your business if you know your brand looks and feels right and does the job it needs to do you're much happier to go out there and be visible because you've got the support of this brand that looks great so that that gives people the confidence to to step oh out i of.
0: love that and then knowing your numbers is like going to the gym is like eating nourishing yeah. food <laughs> yeah, yeah. and going to the gym and doing the basics of working yeah. out so that you feel good and whatever yeah. it is that you put in yeah you, you decorate your body with
1: yeah oh, what oh we, food, we what went
0: metaphors and analogies yeah. <laughs> high and i like that metaphor i'm just like damn that's a good one <laughs> So I have loved our conversation, Emma, and I would love to dive into a little bit of rapid fire if you are ready.
1: I'm terrible at this stuff, by the way, because I always think of the good answers like way after, or I forget. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Forgive me for the terrible answers I'm about to give.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. So who is your favorite female character in a book or a movie and why?
1: Oh my goodness, my favorite female character in a book, movie, and why? I don't know. <laughs> I tell you, I'm terrible. I read all the time. Like, I read every night. So I don't, I don't know. Like fiction
0: my, or nonfiction?
1: Yeah, a bit of both. Sometimes a business book at night, but that sends me to sleep. Um, my favorite character. Do you know what? I've re- read all of the um, Ladies Detective Agency books by... Alexandra Smith McCall, I think that's his name, and it's mm-hmm. the, called The Ladies' Detective Agency, and it's set in Botswana, and it's Mama Ramaposa. I think, is this beautiful hearty woman in her community in Botswana, who all the, the locals go to to solve their problems, and she calls it a detective agency, and it's the most charming, heartwarming, beautiful series of books. I think there's like 10 in, in, the, in the books, in, in the stories in the series, 10 books in the series. And she's one of my most favorite characters. I love it. So I've read all of those books. So Oh, yeah. I
0: love that. Yeah. I love that. It's really,
1: really fun. It's charming and it's so charming. It's lovely. For <laughs> <laughs> so ladies detective agency was like murder mysteries or like, is it yeah, just- Yeah, no. It's just fun. It's things like, um, it's all very sort of, Someone thinks someone's cheating on their husband and then she comes up with really crazy ways to to disprove that or someone's laundry keeps disappearing off the, the line. And it's set in Africa in, in Botswana and it's just it's just beautiful. So yeah, it's it's great. It's oh, really that's awesome. That's awesome. Really yeah.
0: So there you go. That's I'm always mind. I'm always in the mood for some good fiction. So I love a good fiction story with a with a leading lady. So what woman would you want to trade uh, places, not characters with, (laughs) what woman would you want to trade places with just for a day? Like be in her body, feel how she feels, experience how she does life.
1: Who would that be? Oh my goodness. Uh, Again, I have no idea who would I, I wouldn't ever change my life for anybody's. I love my life. But for a day, I I tell you what, I, I really admire Helen Mirren, the actress. She's in her seventies and she, talking about ownership and wearing a crown, she is sexy and intelligent and bold and talented as hell. And I love the movie she's in. I would love to experience being Helen Mirren, I think for a day with all that stuff. And know know that you can rock it at 70, like be hot as, and still as relevant as in your seventies. That would be awesome. She's amazing. She's yeah. amazing. I mean,
0: I don't think we've ever had a, a, an answer that said Helen Mirren in uh, over in a hundred episodes. So you're the there first. You I'm like, I'm so glad that you said that because I love Helen Mirren. Yeah. I, I when I
1: found out she has a spider web tattoo or something like that, I was like, oh, she just is cool. Yeah, she's perfect. badass. Yeah, but she's also intelligent, and I like that. She's intelligent, like it's badass. You know, to claim fame and do something for you know social media. She's intelligent. And mm-hmm. has an amazing body of work. Mm-hmm. That's how I'd like so, to be in my seventies.
0: <laughs> yeah. You've got plenty of time though. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> if, if you were to have your success at twice the speed, what would you have done differently? Going back to the numbers again, I would have definitely found out my numbers much quicker. I wouldn't have given myself a big budget to spend a lot of money, to make a lot of money. Um, that's what I would definitely do Do quicker, is to understand my numbers. And how do you define success? Oh, I define success in, again, my lifestyle. If I can go to bed feeling that sense of calm and that sense of peace, that a day's job well done, and that I've looked after my family, and I've got enough money in the bank, and I don't own anything to anybody and everyone's happy with me and my clients are delighted with the work that I've created for them that's helped them in their life perfect that's all I want if I can go to bed happy then I've done a good job and that's actually how I want to be on my deathbed so my idea of success is also lying on my deathbed knowing that I really had given life my best shot and taken all the opportunities and just enjoyed every moment as it came along and not mm. squandered the talents that I would get, was given. So, yeah, sleeping and dying, that's kind of how I would, the, the two, the pivotal moments in my life to, to the, what success looks like to me.
0: Fortunately, sleeping happens ideally every day, and then dying only yeah. happens
1: once. Yeah. <laughs> a long, long time. yeah, way after my 70s. So I can experience yes. Way, like- way, way after oh, your
0: yeah. 70s. <laughs> 150.
1: Yeah, 70s
0: do. is going to be the prime.
1: Yeah, uh,
0: with way. human longevity. So what do you
1: define to be your kingdom? My kingdom. Oh, it's definitely my home and my family. And home is where I am. Home is where my family is. And home is uh, where my belongings are. I, I love beautiful things, paintings, art, carpets, books. I just love that stuff. And I, wherever I go, doesn't matter where I live. As long as I've got that stuff around me with my family, that's my kingdom.
0: That's it. And lastly, how do you crown yourself?
1: By going to bed early and honoring my health and my stress levels and reading a damn good book every night.
0: Oh, Life's nice. too short for what? a bad book. Or, or a what? Or a really bad <laughs>
1: book? Yeah, life's too short for a bad book. If I don't like a book, I, I put it down and start a new one. Yeah. I
0: literally threw a book in the trash the other week. I just yeah. was like, oh, this is, no, nope. don't need this one in my life. Being able yeah. to say no, it's like Oh, bought it. Nope, don't want it. <laughs> don't want to read that one anymore. Yeah. What yeah. do you consider? I have to ask. What do you consider being early as a bedtime?
1: Oh, I was in. I was in bed at eight o'clock last night. But generally, it's nine nine thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but always like. I... I always like to
0: ask to find out the routine of of successful yeah. entrepreneurs because modeling those those models of success, it, it, and I think that, Emma, you just are such a great model of, of really designing a, a, a business to support the lifestyle that you desire to have, and I, and I love that. And so how can we work with you? How can we get better at branding and providing an amazing emotional experience for our customers using beautiful fonts and presents and all, all, all the things that go into branding?
1: All the things. Well, definitely you have to think of the consistency. And if you, if you're wanting a tip for what your your listeners and viewers should go away and do right now is to go through your customer journey, every touch point it takes from someone discovering you to paying your invoice, go and see what that looks like. Is it visually consistent along every step? Have you got an old logo somewhere or an old color palette happening or an old photograph that, you know, shouldn't be there because, that that journey should be visually consistent and seamless. So take yourself, put yourself in your customer's shoes and just see what your brand looks and feels like at every single touch point and see if it's visually consistent or not. And I know
0: that you mentioned that you had a guide, a new freebie that you just created
1: for our listeners. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I've got a, a PDF and it's so new that I haven't even remembered the title properly. It's called, What Does Your Brand Need?, five elements to create a killer brand and it's five elements and it's not your logo and we don't talk about colors it's a bit more nitty-gritty than that i think most people understand you know logo colors fine whatever it goes into five elements that you need to consider when you're creating a killer brand and so i've got a free pdf to give away to people just so you can sort of deep dive and sort of consider other things as when you're considering your brand Amazing. Amazing. I would, I would so encourage every
0: single person. If you are looking to rebrand, if you're looking, if you're not sure around what your brand is, or if maybe like Emma said, you have some outdated photos I know that we just did a big rebrand for this podcast a few months ago, simply because, but the photos were old. The photos were yeah. of me from five, four, five years yeah. ago, before my business was making money and before I had kids. Yeah. Two things that are very important to me yeah. <laughs> and Absolutely. my brand. And yeah. it changed the game for our how I showed up for not only this podcast, but how I showed up for my business in oh. having that congruence. And Absolutely. so if you're feeling a little out of congruent, <laughs> currently, I have a child kicking me at this moment. If you're feeling a little out of congruent with with your brand, then definitely get that guide, download it, it's free. Emma provides amazing resources. So make sure that you go in and you get that and you, you do a deep dive on your brand. And yeah. it's it's the customer journey that you are
1: supporting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you do download that, um, that free PDF, I then also offer you... Um, the option to book a free brand audit with me, half an hour with me, and we just go in and look. And there's no obligation. I'm not a sales, I don't pitch anything in, in the brand audit. We can do that as well. So there's a link. Awesome. That. Yeah.
0: That's amazing value. Like Emma mm-hmm. drops a few of what her prices are already on this podcast. So like the fact that you can get 30 minutes for free with Emma just by downloading this PDF is huge. I, I really hope that if you're if you're looking to really develop your brand that you take advantage of this opportunity. So with that being said, as always, and all the links are in the descriptions. So as always, my fellow sovereigns, own your throne, mind your business, because your reign is now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crownyourselfnow or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.